Sure, they can open the app 20 times. And me, six years ago, I would be like, oh, this is cool. They're coming back. This is nice. But now it's like, no, are they actually getting to, to the value they need? Are there problems being solved? Are we providing them with an easier life at the end of the day? I think that was the biggest shift. Not to focus too much on what your stakeholders are saying, because the CEO has goals, the marketing team has goals, the sales team has goals, and they all want you to work for their goals. But at the end of the day, your biggest goal as product manager is to provide value and solve customer problems. Hey, everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiama Hansen-Drury, Chief Product Officer at Mina Technologies and all-around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product. And we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I'm really excited to be joined by Yelena uh, Vukadinovich, uh, who is currently the Chief Product Officer at Zuper. Uh, Zuper is a data-powered financial platform that makes personal finance smarter, easier, and more fun. And we'll learn a little bit more about it today. Um, Yelena has joined us both as the CPO, but also as a co-founder. And she's been part of the Zuper journey since the very beginning, and today manages the product team who is building different ways for users to enjoy full control of their finances and while seeing where they can save money and ultimately achieve better financial health, which is something that I think all of us um, are eager to understand more about. So while Yelena and Zuper are based in Munich, uh, Germany, which is known as one of Europe's best cities for STEM careers and a startup hub, she and the team have been remote since day one. And so one of the things that we've covered in preparation for today's episode is definitely how that positioned Zuper well heading into the 2020 COVID pandemic. So we'll be covering that and a whole bunch of other interesting things today. Yelena, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tiama. Happy yeah. to be here. We're happy to have you. So are you calling in from Munich today then? Yep. Uh, with the pandemic, I'm mostly in Munich now, which is not, not the most common uh, occurrence for me. But yeah, for the last year, I've, I've mostly been in Munich. Fantastic. Well, I'm really excited to kind of dive into at some point today what it's been like for you guys, because so many of the guests who have joined our show, they've had to transition away from being in an office and co-located, um, whereas you guys really had the advantage or, or the jump on this by being, I think, uh, remote from the beginning, if I remember, correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah, we've been remote since we started. So COVID influenced our private lives far, far more than our professional one, uh, <laughs> which was great in one way, on one way, but also uh, it, it does get you know more difficult when you can't have your normal private life uh, combined with staying at home and working from home. Yes, I think that's probably yeah. something that every single person listening to this has struggled with. So um, we'll certainly dig into what the advantages were and um, if, you, if you actually long for being back at an office at this point. But before we do that, I'm going to start with something kind of provocative that you said to me in the prep. Um, you told me that sometimes one of the best things you can do at a job is know when to leave it. Now, that is something that people don't hear every day. And we've got a lot of different, different listeners here at For the Love of Product at different stages in their careers. But this is something that I think is in particular important for people who are newer to their careers to hear. Tell me a little bit about what you meant by that and where that yeah. came from. Yeah, so it, it did happen very early in my career that, I mean, a lot of things were, were not perfect at this company I was working at at the time. Uh, but I, I, the trigger for me to say, you know, this is, this is I'm out, uh, was when I was told that I will never be a product manager. And that was great. Because uh, when somebody tells you that, you're like, 
okay, we're definitely not in the same on the same wavelength here on on who's doing what, right? And and how does that work? Um, to kind of talk a bit more about that. So I was early in my career. The other product person on the team was also very early in in their career, and we were constantly micromanaged, unable to make any decisions. Uh, and my my first fallout with a CEO because he was a startup was when he was on vacation. And I made a decision and I got a call an hour later on how dare I make a decision on a feature that's not even halfway done being moved to the next sprint. Like, um, uh, this is very common, right? Um, uh, and then because you're early in your career, you start doubting yourself. You're like, is this actually something I'm not supposed to be deciding on? And there was nobody really senior in the company in product to tell you, you know, actually you should, or actually you shouldn't, whatever of those two was the, the answer to it. And I, it felt like an easy decision to me and like a, something a product person should decide, but it wasn't the case. And it's so hard to recognize these signs when you don't really know, and there's nobody to really, really guide you as, as a more senior person. So, you know, you have one red flag after the other of um, people being told that they're doing things wrongly or uh, decisions being changed every day. And you're being told that that was a decision all along, like, almost like gaslighting basically in, in a professional setting. And you are not talking to your colleagues about it because it's weird, but then at one point you do, and then you're like, oh, we all feel the same. So maybe it's not me that's in the wrong here. And sure, you can, you know, you no job is ever gonna be perfect, right? I, to this day, don't enjoy doing documentation. I'm never gonna have a job that doesn't require me to document stuff. So you're always gonna have certain things you do that you don't like, but if, I always kind of judge it with if my job makes me hate getting up in the morning to go there and do it, it's probably not a good environment for me. Like if I'm dreading working with these people and talking to these people, and if I feel like I'm not learning anything except how to deal with difficult people, you can learn that, but you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to base your whole career around that. Um, it's best to walk away. And at that time, it, it took me like six months to do it. I also had a six month contract. So it kind of, I'm not even, I, I sometimes don't even feel like I can take the credit for, for walking out because the contract was anyways expiring. But I was like, I, I don't even want to talk about prolonging it at this point in time. Uh, the other side didn't want either because I, I will never be a product manager. Uh, so it didn't make sense for, for them either. But um, really now I think a week of that and I'd be out of that door. Uh, and that's like one thing you, I think learn at some point that just because somebody told you you don't know how to do things doesn't mean you really don't know how to do them. Yeah. Well, okay. So we have to take a step back. I mean, we are, <laughs> okay. you are at an earlier point in your career and somebody, you obviously have pursued this role because you believe that your future is in product management. Um, yeah. And somebody says to you, <clears throat> you'll never be a product manager. I mean, what did that feel like? And how, like, how did you approach you know, kind of taking that in and, you know, how, you know, let's walk us through that moment first, I guess, to start. I mean, funny thing is, I think I can still see uh, the scene in front of my eyes where we talk about it. Um, it, it was, I mean, it was horrible. Like I, I can find all different words, but really didn't feel good. You're sitting there and you're like, I'm early in my career. Maybe I, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I'm definitely not capable to do this. And what, what really was helpful for me um, was that, in the meantime, a software engineer joined the team who was a product manager beforehand. 
So the first thing I did was like, I literally marched over to him. And I was like, I have to talk to you. And then he was like, what, what's going on? But that was at a point where we already knew that the environment is just not working for us. Uh, and it was a shared, shared view among a few people I was working with. So I walked up to him and I was like, do you think I will never be a product manager? And he was like, what are you, where's this coming from? Like, what, what's this discussion we are having right now? So I kind of walked him through what happened. And he was super encouraging and I'll, I'll never stop being grateful uh, to him for being like, you know, you have a lot of lot to learn, but you're aware of that. But like, no, you definitely have like a lot of the character. And then, you know, he was very prep talking me, which was nice, but it didn't go away, right? You're always thinking, you know, this person actually likes me. Maybe that's why they're saying this because we are, we're friends. Why, why wouldn't he say nice things to me? So then I sat down and I remember like, first of all, I didn't sleep for days. That was one thing that was like just so horrible because if I didn't get my career right and it's not the end of the world, far from it. But, you know, I'm uh, in Germany in particular, I'm a foreigner on a visa. You know, if I need to switch my careers now, can I do it fast enough? You know, how's that going to reflect on some other things? So I basically sat down. I remember I started reading a lot about product management and I was... Uh, mentally making a list of things I know and things, I mean, it sounds ridiculous now, but I was literally reading, I was like, oh, I knew this. Oh, I knew that. So kind of re trying to, to reinforce uh, right. the knowledge that I already have on myself because there was not many people I could talk to um, unless, you know, they were friends and that just clouds your mind. So I was yeah. literally sitting there reading and then I realized the only thing I can do is start applying for jobs. And if nobody hires me, maybe he was right. Uh, luckily, somebody did hire me. So I, <laughs> I did, and and loved me, by the way. So clearly, uh, clearly now so the yeah. product officer, you you yeah. clearly found your path. Okay, I, yeah, but so yeah, I, that was yeah, that was the most hunting moment of my career, basically. I'm sure, I'm sure, and I think that you know it's something that's worth us covering a bit because the truth is, especially early in your career, at least I felt, especially early in my career, a huge amount of pressure to know exactly where I was going to um, make sure that I was kind of pro product managing my own professional, you know, progression. Mm -hmm. And I do know that when it was earlier in my career, I had less objectivity. So things that did happen, they seemed much more important in comparison to maybe how I would see them today. Um, do you experience that? I mean, if you were to kind of be in a similar situation today, I imagine, and you kind of alluded yeah. to this earlier that you would handle it really differently. You know, talk to us about where that confidence or where that change and approach came from and what, you know, what people can learn from it themselves so that they don't have to wait uh, maybe as long um, as other people have had to wait to kind of gain that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you also remember your first bugs, right? We were like, ah, bugs, there's bugs in my software. What have I done? <laughs> And now, I mean, I now manage a junior. And when she comes to me with like, there's a bug, I'm like, okay, there's a bug, whatever. <laughs> we'll figure it out. If it's critical, just fix it now. It's fine. So it, I think, you know, sometimes we try not to put too much pressure on experience. And we say, you know, people can learn things. And I do deeply believe people can learn things. But one thing that comes with experience is exactly what you just said. Like, you know how to recognize the importance of things. Because when you see it happen to you a hundred times, you know it's gonna happen another hundred times. Whether that's a bug, a faulty software, a complaining customer, they exist and they're never gonna stop existing. And now you're, uh, I got better at taking a step back from it 
to say to say so so like okay somebody's unhappy let's see why they're unhappy rather than going into a full-blown like panic mode of why are they unhappy what have i done um that happens early in your career and i think especially as you get these experiences as you realize that you know what you're doing you work with more and more product managers you see more and more products you see how people in different seniority handle things and you start understanding that no matter how senior a person is they're still going to make mistakes because it's human and we all make them. And then you realize that everybody's going to do it and that doesn't make you any less of a good at your job, whatever the job is. Um, and then you kind of understand that, okay, I can, you know, I can work elsewhere. And I think that sometimes comes very hard when you're early in your career. You're like, nobody else is going to hire me if I don't do this right. Um, at least that's, that's what I've seen a lot of with people thinking that, you know, you need to stay at your first job for two years, otherwise nobody's going to hire you. You need to ditch it. Sure, those are all nice. But if you're having a nervous breakdown and a burnout, don't stay for two years. Like, just don't. Um, I usually say the, the moment your job is also way too comfortable, you should go and find something else that, like, uh, is out of your comfort zone and makes you learn more. But at the same time, don't force yourself to learn things the hard way. Like you don't have to, you know, really have a super toxic environment to learn. And right. I think toxic environments are the worst. I think everything else you can kind of handle, uh, even early in your career, it just, but, but walking away from environments and managers is, is I think important regardless of what anybody tells you. Right. Well, and I certainly think that this is something that's important for all of our listeners to hear. Um, there's one thing that is constantly being said to, to people today, which is you just have to kind of figure out how to do it all, right? We're in this kind of, yeah. especially in this COVID environment where, <clears throat> as you alluded to earlier, right, we don't have that separation of, you know, kind of professional and personal space. Um, mm -hmm. Being a product manager is not really a nine to five job, right? You're thinking no. about it all the time. Um, and there's a, a kind of ever ever present pressure to you know, excel and to, to succeed. Um, what, what do you think is important for people to know now, uh, maybe more so now with the current working conditions that the pandemic have given us about how to set the right limits, right? How to challenge yeah. maybe those common myths that, have crept into people's, you know, psyches because they may be applied at a different point or they applied it, you know, um, in a different set of circumstances. What do you think people can learn from that? Yeah, I mean, with with COVID in particular, like I'm at a good place because at a good place in, in certain ways because I don't live alone, but I also don't have kids because I'm seeing like my friends who are who have kids, homeschooling and working was hard, especially on women. Uh, I'm seeing it in my friends who live alone. You get very, very lonely and you're all alone in this one apartment uh, all the time, like work and there's no private life. You're on your own basically the whole time. And I think mentally that was a lot more exhausting than for me where I kind of had a bit of a balance where I can, you know, close my laptop and still have uh, humans to talk to in person immediately, which unfortunately wasn't the case for a lot of people. Um, and I think setting this limit on yourself as you said like it's not a nine to five job but you have to force yourself to make it one and that's like one thing i keep telling myself so every day there's a, a i mean time limit when i'm gonna close my laptop so if i know it's gonna be an intense day and that limit is at seven fine then that limit is at seven 
or if I know I'm not going to start at nine in the morning because we are fully remote. So there's a bit more flexibility. So if I have to, I don't know, do grocery shopping or something else during the day and I start at 10, fine, I'm going to close my laptop at seven. But at the same time, if I say, okay, you started at nine and you're going to close it at five, then I close it at five. And then one of the things that I think everybody needs to know, and it's kind of basic for product comes, comes very strongly is prioritization. And one interesting thing I learned recently is that priority uh, only became a plural word like 50 or 100 years ago. Priority was singular in English. So, and that's one thing that I think as product managers, because we have so much pressure, so many different stakeholders, we get it wrong. We have priorities. Um, so I try to really very clearly separate them. So there's no three things that have the same priority level. It's always one after the other. And then I say, okay, you know, this is what you do today. Like if you go through these three or four things with all the interruptions, with all the you know questions that will pop up, everybody in product deals with questions and interruptions. Like that's half of your day basically. And um, if I kind of set the limits of that, like, okay, these are the things I go through. If I do that, I'm happy and the day is done. Like it doesn't matter <laughs> that, you know, I could still maybe squeeze something in because I don't have plans to go out with my friends. Indeed. No, 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 you don't squeeze it in. You just kind of stop. Um, mm -hmm. And then you do whatever you can do in the current situation to um, have a private life, whether that's meeting friends because it's okay where, where you're based and the incidents are low or whether that's watching a movie or that's taking a long bath and meditating or doing yoga or whatever makes you happy. Uh, but you gotta find the time for that because otherwise we could get into an endless loop of constantly working. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think if I was to say back to you and I'm hearing the priority that you found to be very important right now is balance, right? You yeah. have to have balance. And in order for yep. balance to work, like you said, there has to be kind of a yin and a yang to it. You have to put parameters around it. Um, boundaries must be there. So I think that's something that we can all uh, learn from. And I know it's certainly something that I, especially in the early days of the pandemic found because as you say, there was no something I had to run off to, to get yep. to, right? So there was no forcing function to sign off because I had to be at dinner or I had to be at a show or, you know, there was no more of that. And suddenly, I mean, it really took me, I'd say probably about six weeks to realize that I was working every night until eight, you know, nine o'clock at night <clears throat> because I have US, you know, counterparts and because there yeah. was nothing else to do. And so it, it was, uh, something that I think all of us crept into, and yet the burnout is real, right? And the inability to then bring inspiration and curiosity to our jobs, which is such an important part of being a product mm -hmm. manager, uh, is really diminished. Absolutely. And then also, it sets up wrong expectations, to be honest. Like, I don't want anybody to think I will always be available 15 hours a day. And nobody wants that, right? You, if Sure, if, if shit hits the fan and you have to be available because it's a really bad day at work, of course, yes, always. But turning it into an everyday occurrence, it just doesn't, doesn't work. And even like, as you said in the beginning, we were remote for a very long time. But with COVID, as you said, there's nothing to be to. Like, there, uh, sorry, there's nothing to get to. And it's like, I have nowhere to be, so I might as well work. <laughs> still, I can read a book. I can, you know, there's, there's still things I could be doing. I'm just not forced to do them like when friends are waiting for you. And it's, yeah, it, it's a hard one to find the balance, but I think learning when to stop. Sometimes when people ask me, how much work do you have? And I'm like, I could work for three days now, probably nonstop. And it still wouldn't be done, right? Because it's never done. Um, so you just got to say, okay, this is it for today. And you do something else. Right. And just make that priority. Uh, 
to be balanced. So, okay. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. So uh, I would love to know if you think back to the early days versus today uh, and your role as a CPO, obviously you've learned some things around setting limits and identifying what is a healthy uh, kind of, you know, work environment for you um, mm-hmm. and not to be scared of, you know, making the decision that a job isn't the right thing for you. How is the, how is your kind of mindset about product evolved during that time? That's a good one. I think when you start your career, especially in product, it's a somewhat new uh, discipline compared to a couple of others. So there's very different definitions of product in different companies, in different industries and so on. And I think one thing that became clearer with experience is that product is whatever brings value to users. Product is not what brings revenue. Product is not what brings stickiness. Product is not what, you know, however we can trick people to to come and use it. Product is really building value. And the more I think about product as as a value metric, are our users actually achieving what they're supposed to be achieving? Um, In the case of Zuper, you know, if we are talking about teaching people to spend less money, are people actually spending less money when they use Zuper? Like, sure, they can open the app 20 times. And me, uh, five years ago, six years ago, I would be like, oh, this is cool. They're coming back. This is nice. But now it's like, no, are they actually getting to, to the value they need? Are there problems being solved? Are we providing them with an easier life at the end of the day in, in the aspect that we want to? Um, I think that was the biggest shift, not to, not to focus too much on what your stakeholders are saying, because the CEO has goals, the marketing team has goals, the sales team has goals. And they all want you to work for their goals. But at the end of the day, your biggest goal as, as a product manager is to provide value and solve customer problems. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, that gives us an idea of kind of, you know, how you think the, the product role has evolved over time. What about product functions, right? I'm especially interested in hearing how yeah. you're set up and, you know, you really, as I said, you guys kind of had the jump off here from a... Um, a remote work experience perspective, right? I mean, how how has that really prepared you? Have you learned anything that surprised you during this time? Share with us for those of our listeners who may be curious about going entirely remote um, permanently mm-hmm. or wanna know how to avoid certain mistakes that maybe you learned early on. Um, we'd love to know kind of your, your experiences with that. Yeah. So. First thing I want to, I always say when people ask me about this is the current state of the world is not remote work. (laughs) I mean, it kind of is, but at the same time, there's just way too much pressure around it um, to to really, you know, like one of the things is that I can pack my bags and go anywhere, right? Uh, For as long as I have a certain overlap with my team and I can do things, it's fine. And that's not the world we live in right now. And when you're confined to your own four walls, it's not pleasant. And I've had friends come to me and say, I hate remote work. How can you do it for so many years? I'm like, you're not working remotely. You're basically in prison and you have a laptop. And that's not really remote work. And that was the first, that, that's the, yeah, the first thing is that I think remote is a lot more fun uh, than we might think of it right now. Um, but not just that. I mean, even when I'm in Munich, it, it gave us the flexibility to hire the best people for the job, regardless of where they are and uh, where they want to be essentially. Like we didn't have to tell anybody, you know, we give you a relocation package to Munich. We don't care, you don't have to be in Munich. And that helps on on multiple ways. One is uh, the pool of talent gets bigger. 
kind of automatically and especially for a small startup like we can't compete with salaries of facebook or google or anybody else amazon whatever uh but it gives certain flexibility to people and allows us to hire people like one of my colleagues is in azores in portugal uh which is like the as remote as you go right uh and he is happy to do this because there's not many jobs in azores uh in tech so being able to work remote really changes uh, certain um, small local environments, especially remote environments, when people have this flexibility. So that's great. But it also, like, I didn't even know Azores exists, to be honest, until I spoke to him, like Madeira, we all know about. But then I had this interview scheduled and the guy says he's in Azores in Atlantic Ocean. And I'm like, what? hold up, like, <laughs> I had to open Google Maps. Um, and I and I consider myself like somebody who knows geography and travels a lot. Um, and the best thing that comes out of it is it comes with built-in diversity. We are predominantly European, but at the same, you know, you can be from different countries, but I've been in Germany for 10 years. There's parts of me that are very German by now um, in, in culture. And you don't get that when the team is remote because people are still in a different environment. They're not Italians living in Munich. They're Italians living in Italy or living in Latin America, or, and it gives you a certain um, diversity of thought immediately. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a different perspective, like especially when it comes to to finances, because that's what we do. And Germans are very, you know, um, or finance oriented. They save money, and Italians are like, we just spend, spend, spend. And then when we have these team discussions, and our lead designer is Italian, and he goes like, Yeah, I think I might need to start investing. Okay, where is this coming from? I always just spend all of my money. I'm like, okay, and it's something that you sometimes don't even think about because I'm so used to the way Germans are. Uh, where that, that's just not the mentality. So it brings that kind of uh, different thought to the team right. and it's built in and that's incredible. Like you don't have to, sure, you still have to think about it. I was about to say, you don't have to think about it. You do, you still need to think about finding this diversity on the team and hiring people with different backgrounds or different, even different way of thinking uh, right. at the end of the day. You still have to think about it, but it's a bit easier to think about it when your pool is global. Uh, and people are already, you know, diverse far more than when you focus on one location only. Uh, yeah. Especially if your one location is somewhere that's not um, inherently remote or it's or inherently diverse, it gets right. harder, right, to hire. And that's that's what I like the most about it. Absolutely. Well, and I think your point in the beginning, I mean, I know you're being a bit facetious, but I think it's probably really important for people who've never had a remote work staff, um, which is that 2020 was not remote work, right? I mean, it was, it, it, it had, it definitely had the element of being remote, but there was so many negative, uh, you know, kind of factors that were there as well. What have you, you know, found to be more difficult for your team, um, even though they had the benefit of already existing in a remote kind of uh, way, you know, have there been anything that has surprised you about the difficulty of continuing to do your jobs during this time? Or, you know, aside from what we can guess, right? The fact that it's hard when you are doing homeschooling and, you know, all of those things, right? Is there anything more kind of um, hard skill wise that's been challenging for the product development process or for your teams? Hard skills, not so much, uh, because it, our work in theory remained the same. Like, this is how I do my meetings, uh, with, a, with a video on and on a call. Uh, we used to meet a few times a year, and now that it's been a year without it, it's getting more and more complaints. It's like, when are we meeting again? I don't know, <laughs> when COVID's over. Um, 
But at the same time, I think the 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 hard thing was really, as you said, it's not homeschooling per se that some people had to had to deal with. It's not you know uh, not being able to go to a restaurant as such, but the effect it has on your mental health and the pressure it can create. And you know, if you have parents that are a bit older, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when nobody had any idea what's really happening. Um, if your parents are older, you were more terrified. And if you're terrified, how can you focus on work? If you know, if you have kids that you have to deal with, how can you focus on work? If you're just overall anxious about the pandemic, which happens to people, it's harder to focus on work. And that was like a surprise because at first you think, okay, everybody's going remote, but we've got this, we've done it. And you think it's gonna be easy, but it's really not because we are all collectively going through something. And I still remember one team call on a Monday and everybody's gloomy. It's like early April or something. I'm like, so what's everybody been up to? And everybody's giving me like the dead eye. Like, well, what do you mean? What, what have we been up to? And one colleague goes, I bought a PlayStation. <laughs> like, it's now funny, but back then it was really not funny because he was like, I don't even know why I've done this, but there's nothing else to do. And that's uh, that's how things things were and it was just a gloomy six months at least in the beginning where nobody's in the mood uh, to have fun nobody's joking and people are like oh I miss doing this and I miss and all of that has an effect on your ability to work it it truly from that perspective didn't matter that we were already remote it's yeah it, it was just hide and yeah how did you lead your team through that? Because I'm sure that they look to you as their leader always um, for help, but especially at a time like that, where, you know, I can imagine putting myself in their shoes. They thought they would have this down well also, mm -hmm. right? Because they were used to it. And I'm, I'm sure that it's disconcerting to realize that this is a lot harder than expected. How did you help lead your team through that time? And, you know, where are you guys at today? Yeah, uh, still a bit gloomy. And we now have discussions of, I miss the airport. <laughs> occasionally <laughs> but um i think one thing overall that i consider a part of my leadership uh, style so to say and i i kind of used it here as well was full transparency and if i got up hating life and hating the pandemic and being terrified of what's going on and we have a call so we are having the conversation or i'm like i don't feel good today like this is this is horrible and I think sometimes people try way too hard in leadership to put on a brave uh, brave face and to always be positive and like sometimes people want to see you sharing their struggles rather than seeing you trying I have it all together no I don't <laughs> I don't think anybody did in the pandemic so a lot of it really came down to being honest about how I feel uh, being there for them if they're having a bad day and also being completely fine with them not giving their best because I know they're giving their best it's just not the hundred percent I'm used to um, and really being like yeah I don't know if somebody would write to me with I don't you know I can't do it today like I just can't wrap my head around this problem can we talk I would jump on a call with them and we would kind of talk through it together to try to you know give them a bit of a perspective and a bit of a I wouldn't even say push to think, but rather a pull of like, okay, let's think about it together because it's I know it's gonna be easier. And having a bit more calls than we normally would also helped because again, it's that human contact, which is a bit better on a call than in a written word. And because we are all lacking human contact, 
we try to kind of talk to each other a bit more uh, during work hours to pair up for certain things a bit more like a lot of things you know you would brainstorm on your own and then you talk to the team here it was more like how about you just brainstorm it together rather uh, because i i think that was helpful um right. and but also just like if they're not having a good day i would say you know what it's 4 p.m just shut your laptop uh, do something else if it's going to be easier and then come back and now work is pretty much back to normal because i think as weird as it sounds i think we are all also used to the pandemic right now mm-hmm. like now you know we still we miss airports we miss restaurants but it's a bit more we're we are accustomed to it in a way yeah but still there's days and when there's a day you know you we kind of wing it as a team or we used to do like beer o'clock occasionally remotely we did it before as well i feel like it happened a bit more often at one point at, at 5 30 or something we would um have a beer together uh, to kind of close the day and it almost feels like having a social life um or if i would do something fun with my friends remotely because that's in the beginning we were in a full lockdown right if we found a way to have fun i would share it with my team so they can maybe try it with their friends so that their social life feels a bit better so that they feel a bit you know easier in the pandemic and i think that's all you can do as a human at the end of the day not even not even as a lead but rather as a human I think it's great advice. And like you said, it it applies for being an individual contributor, but it also applies for being a leader. And I think leadership is not about the title. It's about how we make others feel, right? So lots lots for us to learn from here. Um, Okay, so we we always save this question for the end of our show. And Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna ask you one of our fun ones, which is um, for you, the woman who was told you would never be a product manager, but who is now a chief product officer running a product team. Um, what what would you say would be a product that's worthy of being put in a fictitious, fictitious uh, museum dedicated to the best products in the world? Say there's a museum we could go to yeah. when we were out of lockdown, we could actually go to a real museum in real life. Uh, what would you say should be on, on display at that museum for being one of the best products in the world and why? I mean, we are in the middle of a pandemic and we've just discussed COVID a bit. And this one might be a bit controversial for some people, but vaccines, I mean, they've changed, they've changed their lives and they don't get enough credit. You know, people talk about medication often uh, because but until now, until the pandemic hit, vaccines were just something you do as a kid, right? Your parents take you there and somebody gives you a shot or you're at school and somebody gives you a shot. And we never, like, at least I never sat down and thought, thought about like, actually, a lot more people would be dead without them. And a lot more, you know, illnesses would be around without them. So I think vaccines are, I mean, they're a prevention, right? Uh, They're not a cure, they're a prevention. And prevention is always better than the cure. And especially now in the pandemic, I'm like, yep, this is what our life would be like if we didn't have some of the polio or uh, different like uh, chickenpox or whatever vaccines. Our life would constantly have this this kind of... uh, um, in intensity, so to say. So I think vaccines deserve a museum. And uh, now like seeing, you know, the rollout of vaccination globally for billions of people and how that's being handled. And sure, it comes with its issues. Maybe it's not perfect. We can, you know, that's a whole different discussion uh, about it. But at the end of the day, they're going to allow us to have our lives back. And that's kind of nice. So yeah, that, that would be my uh, 
museum of, of vaccines. Uh, that's a fantastic submission, I have to say, and especially uh, with the accelerated rate of development of those uh, vaccines this year. I mean, I remember in the early days when people were saying we were looking at years out there and now to yeah. be in such a, a lucky state where, you know, we've got, you know, four plus vaccines that are available. And now it's really about scaling those uh, across the world to all countries. So yep. great suggestion, Elena. great suggestion. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was fantastic to hear about your journey, to hear a little bit about the myths that uh, you, you want our listeners to not fall victim to and for sharing a bit about how you and your team have been uh, doing your best to, to survive and thrive uh, in a very difficult year. Yeah, thank you for having me. Happy, happy to talk. And yeah, thank you so much for uh, getting me on the show. Absolutely. We'll, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.